Hello, hello. Welcome to It Takes a Village. I'm your host, Anthony Johnson, and I'm here with Matt Pfeiffer, man, coach, author, therapist, and pretty, you know, kind of TikTok sensation too, man. You got a huge following over there. How you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, TikTok's been good for me, so I can't complain. It's been fun. So on there, you've been specializing in narcissists. Uh, you talk a lot about narcissism. You talk about, uh, you, we talked before we hopped on, people who are in recovery from, from toxic relationships. You talk about dealing with narcissism and co-parenting. And that's really what we, you know, we're on here to talk about tonight. You, you were telling me a little bit about it. So, so tell me, tell the audience a little bit about how you got into that area and why it interested you to talk about narcissism and things like that. This is something I'm, I'm very passionate about. It's something that I experienced myself on multiple different levels uh, in a workplace, church, uh, in relationships and uh, as you know, as I started to progress through my therapy journey in terms of uh, my career, uh, I was a substance use therapist for a long period of time. And uh, you don't know it at the time, but you're learning as you're going and as you're as you're working as a substance use therapist. And there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of um, relation between toxic relationships and substance use. Eventually, I, I decided to go out on my own. I decided to start my own coaching practice. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, at the time, it was, it's strange because I went out on my own, I think, 2016. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember sitting down with my supervisor because um, people said, you're about to commit um, career suicide because uh, I said to them, I, I feel that the wave of the future is for people to meet online instead of coming into the office. And uh, I was like, I just don't, I feel like I could have more of an impact on people by getting online. And, and this is, keep in mind, this is pre-COVID. And so mm -hmm. now everybody's online. Um, but I was doing that for a long period of time. And just in uh, long story short, I, I got involved. Um, someone invited me to a podcast. They asked me specifically about toxic relationships compared to healthy relationships. And that, that episode went viral. Uh, they invited me back. Another episode went viral. And I was like, you know what? I guess there's some knowledge here. There's some things that people people already have plenty of dating coaches, which is what I was doing at the time. Um, it sounds like people really need need healing. People really need work and people really need some information in terms of narcissism and toxic relationships and understanding themselves a lot better, too, because there's a lot of self-awareness that comes there comes with that as well. Absolutely, man. And um. So when it comes to these toxic relationships, you were talking about how you're dealing with people usually that are coming out of these. Uh, a lot of your clientele are coming out of these toxic relationships. What is the what are they experiencing the most trauma from when it comes to dealing with a toxic relationship and coming out of? What is the, what's what's the main thing they're dealing with that you're seeing? Most of them are extremely trauma bonded, meaning that they're literally addicted to the other person. Uh, so a trauma bond is an unhealthy attachment in the presence of shame, danger, or exploitation. So you have the person who's the abuser and the person who is the abusee, the typically the codependent or someone who deals with, struggles with some codependency. Uh, and that person oftentimes feels like it's their fault and they feel like they need to save the relationship. You'll, they'll make a lot of excuses for the abusive behavior. By this time, they've probably been isolated from friends and family. They, they think that it's their fault because the lack of boundaries and the relationships 
uh, and all, due to all the gaslighting, you, you start to wonder if it's you. And there's a lot of psychological damage that's happened at that point. Uh, and when you're dealing with someone who is struggling with people pleasing, there's a lot of, I, I don't want to be the bad guy in this relationship. And you've been, you, for however long that person was in this relationship, you've been working extra hard to try to get this relationship back to what it was in the beginning. You'll hear people say things like, I see good in them. I know that they have the potential to be good. And you hear people mm. saying a lot of this type of stuff. And so the people who struggle with codependency feel they're, they they think that their self-worth is saving this relationship and fixing other people. Well, there's no other better person to fix than a narcissist who who has no desire to change themselves, but they'll they'll definitely blame everything on you. Right. right. So you'll but a codependent will gladly accept the blame because if I'm the problem, then I can fix myself. And, and it becomes what this what's called a codependent narcissistic dance. And mm. so when they come out with all that being said, they're trauma bonded. They often have a lot of people pleasing uh, tendencies and they don't want to be the villain. They uh, struggle with boundary setting. They struggle with uh, relational relational trauma, a lot of times physical trauma uh, after some some physical abuse, financial abuse. So it, it's potentially endless. And oftentimes what happens is that once we start working together, if there's so many different layers to it, it actually, what I tell them is that your problem actually started long before you even met the, met the toxic or narcissistic person. It started mm -hmm. out with childhood. So we start getting into some childhood wounds and some childhood trauma as well. Are there, are there some, some common threads that you see uh, from the people you coach that things that happen in their childhood that will get them, that will potentially make them a, a target for, for a narcissist? Typically their parents are highly toxic, highly, uh, shouldn't even say highly, um, but they're very manipulative and abusive themselves. Mm. And so it creates this narrative where uh, someone feels like they're, that they're responsible to try to please their parents. They're, they're trying to please uh, who they are, that highly critical, highly demanding parent that, that can't possibly be pleased. And then they end up with people that are very much like their parents. And, mm. uh, and so a lot of times it might be the golden child who thinks that they, a lot of self-esteem issues, um, a lot, or maybe a, a scapegoated child. Uh, and then what happens is that they just repeat that, uh, that cycle into adulthood as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so when we're talking about the topic of co-parenting, um, I know, you know, I've come across a lot of people who are, say they are co-parenting with a narcissist. And I know, you know, I like to, to say on this show that narcissism is an actual diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you you know, a lot of people throw that term around and, and label people that, but, you know, it's, you can't just go around label people as a narcissist. They may have some narcissistic tendencies or traits, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are diagnosed narcissists, right? right. Um, but what is when it comes to co-parenting with a narcissist, what are some of the biggest difficulties you're seeing there specifically related to co-parenting? You, you hit the nail on the head that about the in terms of in terms of uh, narcissist and and co-parenting and the diagnosis. But when you start to deal with someone who is a, a narcissist, they're not they won't co-parent with you. They are mm -hmm. counter parenting. So you start to notice that. I think even in, in the most natural co-parenting situation, you're going to have your disagreements. Mm -hmm. Even even in a healthy dynamic, both parents, because they had they came from different backgrounds, are going to disagree with how the kids should be raised, what they should be allowed to do. That's very very common in any 
parenting situation or even in a healthy co-parenting situation mm-hmm. where we begin to escalate things quite a bit with when we, we're dealing with someone who really is a narcissist. And, and in terms of the diagnosis, most narcissists don't get diagnosed, which is what creates another large problem. And mm-hmm. so the problem with narcissism is that they literally use the children as pawns. We're not talking about just straight up disagreements. We're talking about a lot of manipulation where they're using the kids uh, as uh, as spies to report back to to the abusive parent. Now you have a parent that is that possibly is stalking you based on what the what the children report back to the other parent. You have the children that might even um, be literally abusive towards the parent because of because they're trying to please that narcissistic parent. You have them uh, withholding. You have them. Uh, trying to you know not abiding by the 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 system not abiding by the uh the 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 custody agreements either not showing up um or um not returning the kids so there's a lot of different layers or a lot of manipulation um calling you all hours of the day calling you all hours of the night uh, because what happens with narcissists is that they they were controlling all throughout the relationship and they definitely don't want to let, let go of the control and has nothing that oftentimes people will say, well, I just want them to move on. So then they leave me alone. And that's not what happens. Quite often mm-hmm. they'll engage the new person in the abusive behavior and in the control and in the stalking. And they just begin to recruit people to uh, do uh, abuse by proxy. You'll hear people say, use the terms like flying monkey and smear campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. But the the clinical term, the proper term is abuse by proxy. They can't reach reach you, so they they find other people to do it either through yeah. social media or neighbors. They'll they'll they have no problem because narcissists are very charming. Introducing them to the introducing themselves to your neighbors, uh, having them report back, and uh, it it can get very very messy depending on what what it is that they're trying to do. But uh, but in situations like with co-parenting, they definitely use the children as pawns. Yeah. Um, and there's not, and do you, you know, I don't know if you, maybe you can speak to this or maybe you can't, when it comes to narcissist and parenting, is it like, I've heard people say that narcissists don't really, not necessarily, they don't have a lot of love for the kids that they, they, it's more about themselves. Like, can they, can a can a narcissist like love their child, like genuinely like love their child? It's strange dynamic. They love the way that I describe it is that narcissists love their significant other and the children the same way that me and you would love our phone. Mm. So if you think about the, the, when you have your phone, when, the, when you first got it, you loved everything about it because you loved everything that the phone can do for you, right? Mm. It's faster, it's, uh, you know, it's fresh, all those sorts of things. But then over the course of time, it's just a phone. You don't really care if you drop it. You don't really care what happens to it. Um, and when you lose it, or if you upgrade, and if you get a new phone, then, you know, you, you're more excited about the new phone, but no one better touch your old phone because mm. the old phone still belongs to you, right? It's still your possession. So even if it's left in your drawer, don't touch my old phone. It mm. still has all my old passwords. It still has all, all of my search history, all that kind of stuff, things that I want to keep private. So don't touch my old phone. It belongs to me. So they think of it as a possession and, and oftentimes when it comes to when, when, when that's how they think of their significant others, that's how they think of their kids. But when we get to their kids, we extend that a little bit more in terms of the way that the kids 
the image, they think of them, their children as quite often, especially with the narcissistic mother, they think of them as trophies and they mm. think of them as, as the, the image or like a reflection of who they are. So mm. what happens is that narcissists love and they crave attention, but they crave all attention, not just the positive attention. And if you're, let's say that your, your child is a great football player and that narcissist has always wanted to make it to the NFL, then, then all of a sudden that, that child might be the golden child where they can't do anything wrong. And so you start to see a lot of enabling behavior. But typically, if you have a golden child, you also have a scapegoated child where the other child can't do anything right. And mm -hmm. so a lot of times you might see a dynamic where they treat two kids very, very differently. And oftentimes they'll say, well, they'll look at the golden child and they'll say to them or people will say like, well, the narcissist treats that child really well. And that's actually not true. What happens is that if you were to talk to a golden child, they'll tell you that I had to be perfect all the time. And if I didn't do, if I weren't perfect, even the slightest, and when I say perfect, it's to the narcissist standards. Mm. Right? So that 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 football player could have scored four touchdowns, but because they only made it to the one yard line for that last one, right? When they get home, now they're being treated like the scapegoat child because you made the narcissist look bad in the game. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of abuse and there's a lot of pressure that comes with the gold child where and then the, the scapegoat can't do anything right. They can. And so what happens is that that develops a lot of self-development and self-esteem issues for both children where one has self-esteem issues that feels like they need to be perfect all the time. And I got to be on point all the time. And if I, I don't want to disappoint people and, you know, develops different types of people pleasing that way. But then you have the scapegoat that develops self-esteem issues that uh, I can't please anyone. No one likes me. I can't. Uh, I can't, uh, there's nothing that I can do right. There's, uh, and, and so it, it becomes very damaging for uh, for the children, regardless of which role they play. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. We had a comment come in that says, <clears throat> narcissists cannot love in a mature way. They love to, to use people to give them a feeling. It's not mature. Correct. All right. It's all, it's all about what's called narcissistic supply. And going back to what I was talking about in terms of of like drug use and, and you and comparing this to like heroin, um, the the narcissist is looking for that that constant hit where they're getting the attention, they're getting their their ego stroke, but um, but they do that in a variety of ways, both in mm. the positive and in the negative. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about let's get into some of the effective ways. I know some people want to want to hear about this that that you've seen and that you've seen successful. When it comes to dealing with the narcissist, what are some like, uh, you know, some of the effective tools that you're giving people when you're co-parenting with a narcissist that's going to help you maintain like, your, you know, your sanity, your peace? One of the biggest mistakes that I see, I'll kind of start from the beginning, is uh, you have to go to court. You have to get something on paper, in custody, in writing. Hmm. Oftentimes, what a narcissist will do when you're going through a divorce with a narcissist is They'll try to convince you and they'll try to say, oh, we don't need lawyers. We, we could just do this themselves. We'll, we'll just do this ourselves because they constantly go back and forth between uh, making it seem like they have the potential to be cordial. Let's just be friends. We can just do this. And they'll make it even sound. They'll say everything as if they're going to that they plan on co-parenting properly. But what mm -hmm. I tell people when I warn people is that you already have a history. You have, let's say that you're with this person for 10 years. You have 10 years of experience. Yeah, you know what to expect. If they were controlling all throughout the relationship, that's not going to change now. And so what they what they're doing is that they're they're being very manipulative. Uh, I tell people that with narcissists, the good you see is really just the bad in disguise. Mm. That they're saying this because 
if there's if there's no custody paperwork, if you don't go to court, guess what? There's nothing to hold them accountable. Yeah. So they don't have to bring they don't have to bring the child back. They don't ever have to pick them up. They don't have to pay, if they decide not to pay child support. They don't have to pay child support. Um, you know, d- d- depending on the on the situation, if they and so now all of the games and all of the control just continue to work. So mm-hmm. number one, you have to go to court. You have to get it uh, get custody on paper. And a lot of times people, going back to what I was talking about, people pleasing, a lot of times the people pleaser doesn't like to do this because guess what? They have to be the villain. You're going to be the villain in the other person's story. And they've been, they've spent basically the entire time trying not to make the narcissist mad. Well, guess what? Now we have to accept the fact that, that they're going to be upset with us. Mm -hmm. And that's also a lot of the reason why we need this because we need something on paper to be able to hold the narcissist accountable um, not if, but when things start to go sideways. Mm. Um, part two to that is that we have to begin to minimize the amount of t- contact that we have with them. Mm. So narcissists, just like I, we, we've been talking about this entire time, they love control. So what I was, what we were talking about before, they use the children as pawns to have access to you, right? So we give them access to the children, but they do not have access to, to you. So we minimize the <laughs> amount of contact. Which is very counter to what, what, what seems counter. Let me rephrase. Seems counter to what we might talk about in a natural and a healthy co-parenting dynamic. Yeah. But the problem with a the narcissist, they'll call you at three thirty in the morning. They will call you five times. You know, uh, they will disrupt your your work your your workflow. They will uh, literally won't stop. Right. Mm-hmm. When you when you give them literally any level of attention. And so we minimize the amount of contact. And what happens is that, yes, it gets worse before it gets better um, because they start to realize that they're losing that control. But eventually what happens over the course of time is that uh, that when we minimize the contact and when I say minimize, what we're doing is that we're talking about the children only. Mm-hmm. And so we're keeping it very basic about the children, pick up, drop off. Um, we, we talk about uh, things that are relevant. Because what the narcissist is trying to do is that they'll they'll try to make it about the kids, but it's really not about the kids. It's really about who you're dating, where you're at, who where who you're hanging out with, right? About you and your life. And so that part is none of their business. We keep it all about the children because right. once you start going down that path, uh, it starts to turn sideways. starts starts to get ugly. Yeah, yeah. We got a comment coming and asking about like uh, gray rock. And mm-hmm. and things like that. So here's the comment that came from uh, a man, Rosa. Uh, this is legit. Uh, can you explain gray rock uh, contact with a parent that is showing signs of narcissistic behavior? So gray rock. Uh, so um, what we just described is a form of gray rock. So gray rock is. So let me re, let me rewind back to what I was talking about in terms of narcissistic supply. Narcissists mm-hmm. want all they want right, is chaos. It's a very, I tell people that narcissists live in a very upside down world where mm. it's it's like a game that's being played the entire time and the game is nonstop and that's all they want. Oftentimes when you're arguing with the narcissist and when, when they're causing and creating the drama, they'll, might, they'll even make it seem like they want resolution. Like I'm trying to work with you. I'm trying, no, they're not. They want the mm. argument. What they're looking for is the reaction. Because mm-hmm. they know that there's buttons that they can press. So what Gray Rock is, is that no matter what buttons they're pressing, I don't care how angry you get, I don't care how upsetting it is, you're not giving them the response because that's exactly what they're looking for, and that's how that game 
is played, right? Because once they realize the buttons that they that they can press, they might say something like, um, and they'll they'll throw out the the most wild, inaccurate accusation at the most inopportune time. So mm-hmm. it might be eleven thirty on a Friday night. And if you don't know these tactics, if you don't know these things, if you don't know about Gray Rock, they might text you at 1130 at night. I want to talk to the kids, right? So this is them, right? And if we don't have anything on paper, and if you're struggling with codependency and if you struggle with people pleasing, you think that's actually legit. Well, I don't want them to think that I'm trying to withhold the kids. So let me see if they'll let me. And so, or you might say like, hey, the kids are asleep. No, they're not. You just don't want me to talk to them because you're out there screwing some other guy or you're screwing some other woman, right? And they yeah. throw out some wild accusation right. and you feel like now we have the response. You feel like you need to explain because you don't want to make them mad, right? So no, I'm not, I promise. I'm, and then, but you, that's too much. They, that's already too much because you've given them a response. Then prove it. Send me a picture. I'm stopping over. I'm coming over because whoever's there. And, and even yeah. though you regards, and even if you are, you're divorced at this point. And so this is so a handful of reasons, a handful of things here. This is the reason why we have to have things on paper in the event that they do try to accuse you of withholding the children of these wild, inaccurate accusations. Uh, and and so Gray Rock, right, would be you responding at an appropriate time. Right. A lot of times people think that we have to respond to the narcissist right here, right now, because that was the truth when you were in the relationship. So in, mm-hmm. so getting a text at 1130 at night. Right? That's not an appropriate time for them to be texting. So we have to understand our rights and we don't respond then. And so a lot of people who have experienced this, they're like, oh my goodness, that means they're gonna they're gonna be upset. Yeah, they are. And but you there, that is no longer your responsibility anymore. Yeah. And so you respond right at an appropriate time uh, at nine o'clock the next day. Right. A lot of people are like, my goodness, what is court going to say? Court's going to agree. That's an appropriate that's an inappropriate time, which is the important which is important for you to understand your rights. Right. So you you respond. The kids are asleep at, you know, um, you, you and I both know that they're that their bedtime is at 9 p.m. Right. Um, and, you know, so but um, according to the order. Right. You're you're more than welcome to call at 8 p.m. They're probably going to get ticked off. They're allowed to be ticked off, right? But what what happens is that you're still abiding by the court order, but you're also not giving into this game that the narcissist is playing at the same time. And so that's what Grey Rock looks like. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's that's so important. I feel like I I talk to people about that a lot and about, you know, respond, you know, when I'm talking about responding versus reacting, and yeah. you know, like how you know somebody they're trying to get a reaction out of you. So you know, you don't have to respond. I feel like one of the great things about text messages and emails is that we don't have to respond to it right away. Nope. All right. Like you can take some time for yourself, gather your thoughts, get yourself together, get angry about it, or do whatever you need to do, Go and then respond walk. appropriately. All right. Yeah. And and yeah, I tell people put the phone down. If you feel like you, if you feel like your anxiety is really high, if you're triggered, things that things things of that nature. The, the fear, though, is a lot of times people think that, that, number one, they don't know their rights in court if they're going through some sort of custody battle. And so because they don't know their rights, they think that they have to be nice. They have to play nice in the sand. And yeah, you do have to play nice in the sand. But it, just because you respond later 
doesn't mean that's not that's and the narcissist again is going to throw out wild accusations you're not responding you're not co-parenting just because they say that doesn't mean that that's what the court is going to agree with right and quite often people think that because they've given the narcissist so much control over through over the course that they just think that the what the narcissist says goes and that's just not true in the real real world once you once you're out yeah um <clears throat> i just want to take a quick moment to respond to somebody who commented just saying that they love what we stand for and love what we're doing and just just thanking us and appreciating showing appreciation so thanks alex thanks for that brother um you talked about it getting worse like it's gonna get worse before it gets better like what like what would you say to people who that have a fear like i don't you know i don't want to take them to court or her to court because then it's gonna get 10 times worse if i you know they're gonna think i'm trying to take their kids their kids from away from them like and i, I just don't want to go through that like what would you say to people who may be feeling like that this is when we when i'm working with someone we start talking about and we start working on boundaries so oftentimes people don't understand boundaries and and um this isn't when I tell people who struggle with codependency and people pleasing that they also have levels of control, that they're they also have control issues in this too. They're like, what do you mean? How do I have control issues? They are the ones that were abusive this entire time. They're in shock. And I tell them that your concern with their, with what they think and what they feel about you is actually none of your business. Mm. Your behavior, you worried about them being upset with you right? Is you trying to control how they feel and how they think we got to let that go. They're mm -hmm. allowed, right? So actually the one time, one, one of the very rare times that I actually agree and will defend the narcissist, they're allowed to think of you as the villain. They're mm -hmm. allowed to think of you uh, as uh, a terrible parent, as a terrible mother or a terrible father. And that's hard for people who struggle with people pleasing because they oftentimes don't want, they, they don't want to be the villain. They don't want to rock the boat. And so, yeah, they're going to start sending you nasty messages. You, tear you, we know all the, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss here, but you're, yeah. you're uh, you, tear, you whore, you this, that, you, you, you deadbeat, you, all the net, all the things that, that the people pleaser is afraid of. And so we have to accept that that's their story and they're allowed to think that if they want, and you're allowed to disagree. So that's number one. Number two, just like we talked about before, just because they're saying all that doesn't mean that we have to respond to any of it. And, and the fact that they're saying all this, we definitely don't respond to it. And what we call that is we call it evidence, right? Mm -hmm. We show that, you know, if, if things end up back in court or if you're going through court, what happens is that now you're able to show that this person, you know, had, uh, can come unhinged. This person uh, gets loose. And what you're also doing is that you're showing the court that you have the ability to be the more mature person, right? Which is always in the best interest of the child. And so, uh, so it, it works, it works um, in multiple different ways. So mental, good mental and emotional boundaries when, when it comes to that. Um, for, <clears throat> that's good. That's good info, man. For when you have somebody that is having a hard time setting boundaries, where, where do they begin? You know, because, you know, some people say some people know. I feel like a lot of people that have a hard time setting boundaries, they know that about themselves, but they don't know how to effectively set them and to yeah. to follow through. Yeah. So when you go when you're dealing with a narcissist and you have that, you know, like you, you talk about that trauma bond, 
like where do you begin when it comes to setting those boundaries and, and actually to where it sticks and you follow through? You have to be authentic with who you are. That's number one. Um, so we have to talk about where boundaries come from. So people who struggle with codependency and people pleasing, oftentimes they are so concerned with everybody else's feelings and everyone, what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is thinking that they don't take time for their own emotional and mental well-being. But so when we talk about things like anger, when we talk about things like anxiety, all the, all the emotions and all the feelings and all the thoughts that people don't like, that's what, guess what that is? That's where you need to be setting boundaries. Because when someone is, when you're angry with someone, uh, that means that someone has probably crossed a boundary somewhere. Well, mm. that's that's time for us to begin to act. So we, so when we do feel anger, when we do feel anxiety, right? What is anxiety? There's a fear or some sort of concern with the future. So guess what? If someone asks you to hang out this weekend and you have something coming up this weekend, then we need to pay attention to that. We need to pay attention. I tell people to pay attention in five different areas. Take regular inventory in five different areas, uh, mental or conversational boundaries, emotional boundaries, boundaries around our time slash energy, times, boundaries, around our, um, boundaries around our finances or material possessions, and boundaries around our, um, per, on our, around our body. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand that what boundaries do is it protects, it, it protects our resources, right? So all five of those are, are the resources that we need to protect. Well, we need to understand our limits uh, when it comes to all five of those areas. How, how much time do I have? How much energy do I have to, to take this task on? Right. One of the things that a lot of co-parents struggle with is their energy boundaries. I, I, mm. I tell people all the time when they get back from work and they're exhausted from the day and the kids are ready to do their homework or play, it is completely OK for you to tell your kids, let me take a nap first. Let me go rest first. Like, it, you know, um, not right now. Let me get back to you. Let me go change first and then let me rest up and then I'll come back to you. And people who struggle with people pleasing, right? They're like, well, but then they're going to get upset. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're actually teaching the children how to be authentic, how to mm-hmm. be, how, uh, how disagreements work that. Yeah. Uh, I know you want, how to delay and those sort of things. And so, and then what happens often is that I, I tell parents who are struggling with, with boundaries, you know, do you want the best for your child? And, and of course, everyone's like, yeah, of course I do. Well, you tell me what's the best version of you, the tired, mm-hmm. worn out version of you that, that is thinking about work and, and is going to be probably short tempered if you're, or if your children are unruly and things of that nature, or the one that goes, takes a 20 minute nap, right? Gets rested, washes up and that sort of thing from the day. And now you're fresh and fresh and recovered. Which parent does that does your child deserve? Which one is going to be more fitting? Which child is going to and which parent is going to be uh, more patient, and more tolerant when the when the children start crying? Right. Obviously, the one that's rested and recovered because you paid attention to your boundary when it comes to your energy. And so uh, we we have to understand where our limits lie. And we also have to understand where our emotions lie. Right. When we have to pay attention to that um, and begin to process our emotions. Uh, and then we move forward from there. And, and one of the core essence of boundaries is who's responsible for what. So you have to understand yeah. that those areas that you are responsible for them, no one else is responsible for those areas. Yeah. I love that you talk about authenticity because I feel like, you know, when I'm talking to clients and especially, uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of single moms. I talk to, you know, more so in, in my client base. But 
I feel like this just happens with parents, especially single parents, um, that they lose a sense of themselves yeah. when they have kids. Like they don't even know what they want or who they are anymore outside of what they do for, for a living and taking care of their kids. I'm like, you know, I ask them what they want. What do you, what do you want? And they're like, you know what? I don't know. Or I haven't even thought about that, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, and it's so pervasive, but it's, it's still crazy to me. Like how people, it's just like, it can happen so easily that you don't even think about you anymore. Right. And you're like, I don't even know what I want. I haven't even, I haven't even thought about it. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that is, that's, those are some very, very strong codependent traits where you're thinking about, it's like we were talking about earlier, uh, thinking about other people and putting the needs of other people first, right? But you are, you're not even good to your own children unless you're able to put yourself first, unless you're a full, whole person and, uh, and, and, and being authentic. And what happens if we're not careful uh, and people who struggle with codependency know what I'm talking about because Oftentimes, codependents know that they're really nice, but they actually question themselves because when you don't advocate for yourself, you really do want something. But a lot mm-hmm. of times, because you're suppressing yourself for so long, you don't you don't advocate for yourself. And then um, it comes out in ugly ways. It comes out in the form of resentment. Then we have what mm-hmm. I call these resentment pops. Mm-hmm. Right. So, hey, what do you want for lunch? I don't care. Whatever you want. Right. And so then they go get Mexican food when you really actually kind of wanted pizza. And then the next time, like, hey, what do you want? Um, Mexican food. Or, or I want um, or you don't say anything. Oh, I don't care whatever it is that you want because you want to please that person. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they go get Mexican food again. And then what happens? And, and let's say that you didn't get enough sleep because you didn't set boundaries earlier in terms of taking a nap. We always get Mexican food. We always get what you want. Right. And, and so instead of it coming out in a healthy way where you're like, you know what, today I would like pizza. Right. And you advocate for yourself. You now it now comes out in an ugly way. And this is what causes people to wonder and ask themselves, am I the narcissist? Am I crazy? Is this is this what's happening? But what's, what, what's actually happening is you're lacking authenticity, you're lacking boundaries, which also comes from a place of lack of self-love and self-esteem. Yeah. And, uh, and I think a lot of times people don't even realize it. It's like. You know, I had, uh, you know, a client the other day, like I like to ask people when we set up our first appointment, I'm like, do you want to do, would you prefer, I give people the option to do it, would you like to do it over phone or you like to do Zoom? Like, what do you yeah. prefer? And, you know, I had a client say, you know, I really like to, I really feel like I would get a lot of value from Zoom and like seeing like facial expressions and body language and things like that. Uh, but whatever you want to do. Yeah. All right. And I was like, no, like we're going to here, right here, right now with you, like just kind of like taking standing in your power like what yeah. you said you want you would prefer zoom tell me you want zoom is that right. what you want like let's you want zoom right we're doing zoom like yeah. if you if you want it let's don't say, don't put it back in my court and say right. well whatever you want to do and mm-hmm. you just vividly expressed to me that you would prefer zoom and why yeah. <laughs> then you put it back in my court Absolutely. Um, so people don't even realize that they're doing it um so for the for the for the person that's like, all right, that's struggling. I, I know some people that say they every time they they deal with a situation with a narcissist, they get it. It's like it re-traumatizes them, mm-hmm. like because they they might have a small child, and they're like, I have to deal with this for the next however many years. Mm-hmm. And it becomes frustrating over and over and over again every time you try to 
make a decision and you get pushed back and it, it's something that should be simple or like how, what are you saying to those people like that that feel like that get frustrated every time and like man i got they seeing this this long-term thing like and i'm gonna have to deal with this for the next 15 years or however many you, years you'd be surprised on the amount of things that you actually don't have to ask them for mm. you'd be surprised on the amount of things that um that conversations that just don't actually need to be had mm. um let's um let's so there there's um so let me ref, let me rephrase number one um i would encourage people who are going through this if, if we can have the custody order written in certain ways uh to help protect you right from the beginning that is going to uh that's going to be yeah. money right there so a lot of times what narcissists will do is that they'll try to create some sort of i've, I've heard every single crazy custody order that they'll do 50 50 but they want to exchange every other day right things like that where we where it has to make sense and a lot of times people who struggle with people pleasing would agree to something like that well at least i get to see the kids every other day right um and but but you also have to think about the freedom that you need from the narcissist so um you know so let's <clears throat> so that's first we we need to create and structure a custody order that makes sense we also have to begin to like i said before let go of some control mm. i know that that's hard to do but we but i tell people that the things that you try to control end up controlling you like for example the narcissist probably isn't going to give the kids their vitamins and things of that nature that 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 for you feel you feel like they're really really important right? mm. we got to start letting some of that stuff go mm. one of the hardest things so i mentioned earlier that there's that there's a handful of times that I actually defend the narcissist, and this is one of them too. We have to understand that even if they're not, even if they're a diagnosed narcissist, they have a right to be a parent. So they have a right to parent them the way that they want on their weeks. And so when you so uh, here's something that's very common. They may or may not take them to their uh, extracurricular activities, hmm. right? And that's big. And so then the, the person who is who's the codependent who may have paid for the extracurricular activities um well i you know i you're thinking that i should reach out to them but i'm telling you that no matter if you reach out to them or not they're still not doing it and there's not a court in the in the country that's gonna that's going to enforce it unless there's some extreme circumstances behind it because yeah. they have a right to be a parent they don't have to take them to football or or whatever right so then the so then that that code that the person who struggles with copent uh, codependency right is struggling with yeah but what about my kids now we're trying to control with you know our kids emotions they're allowed to be upset by this right and what happens is that now we now we're we have to pay pay attention and monitor our own emotions and when the child comes back if the, if they are upset because sometimes they're not mm -hmm. right then we learn how to process and we teach them how to process their emotions appropriately but reaching out to the narcissist in that situation uh, is not going to get you anything. And how do we know mm -hmm. this? We look back again at that at the ten years of experience. Um, one of the things I ask parent ask parents all the time, I want you to think back to uh, think back over the course of the the relationship and name one time that the two of you had a disagreement and you were able to meet in the middle on anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, great majority of the time people are like, no, never, not one time. It's always their way or the highway. Then what's the point of reaching out to them about about 
um, you know, hey, uh, um, we um, we're going to go camping on our week. Uh, just wanted to, just wanted to run it by you. Want to see if you're okay with it? Just go camping. Yeah. Right. Just go. Right. And then the but then also on the flip side, um, we have to we have to understand that that uh, we have to let go of the control when the kids are not with us as well. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I think that's good info right there, man. And I think that, <clears throat> yeah, because you, because you, because I feel like the parent who may not be the narcissist, right? Or, you know, we're thinking as the, maybe the rational parent, they have the tendency to want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, and that doesn't go away for them. It doesn't go away. You don't, the fact that you want to be, the, you want to have a relationship where you can communicate effectively. You want to have a relationship where you share things. And that doesn't, that feeling doesn't necessarily go away. Yeah. So you're like, okay, so I'm going to try to communicate. I'm going to try to do this, but it, but it, it's not worth it. You have it's to, you have to, I tell people all the time, this is, this is, for some reason, this is, I've noticed that this is a hard pill for people to swallow. I tell them that you have to lower your expectations of who this person is. Uh-huh. That, you know, you have, you still have this person on a pedestal. And oftentimes people will say, well, at least they're a good dad. At least they're a good mom. And that's actually not true. Right, because they're they're not they don't have the ability. Number one, like we said before, they're using the kids as pawns. Number two, you can't be abusive to the other parent and consider yourself a good parent. That that that's an oxymoron. And the other part to that is uh, is that all all of it is a facade and, and manipulation. And 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 so we have to lower our expectations and 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 let go of that that desire to fix and that desire to please. And understand that that things are the way that they are, right? And begin to start practicing a lot of radical acceptance. Yeah, uh, yeah, I hear that that radical acceptance. And you talk. I think it's one of the other things you mentioned that's very important, uh, and I want to highlight is you know being very specific in a court order. And when you go to court, and the things that you, you know, I watched the webinar the other day with uh, Judge Anthony. He's he's you know he's big on TikTok, right? He was talking about going to court with a narcissist and things like putting very specific things in in the order uh in the custody agreement that you know like you said you that eliminates you having to communicate with them as as much as possible like you can put you can you can have the pickup uh location in there right like you know times that they can call them on certain days when you have Mm -hmm. them those things can go in in the order i agree 100 percent with everything you said but i will let you know of a situation that you actually have to let go. Mm, this okay. so the, um, the uh, a couple of them. First right of refusal is a popular one. That on the on the surface, most people are thinking like, well, the narcissist is going to go party. They're going to go do this. They're going to go do that, and they'll have to call me first. And of course, I'm going to want want extra time with the child. But you have to think about it in reverse. That mm-hmm. now the narcissist has the first right of refusal when you want something when you need. need to go out, run errands, or or you want to go on a date, and so what happens is that that now gives that narcissist um, additional control. Mm-hmm. What happens is that the, the one of two things are going to happen, and this is something. This is what I see that's very common with that first right of refusal. You call them <clears throat> because you're you're going to go on a date. They'll agree. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll watch the kids for you. No big deal. And then, but now the narcissist who's controlling, who's abusive knows where you're at, knows who you're with, knows you're going on a date, and they mm-hmm. actually have control over the, your most precious commodity, right? Your child or, mm-hmm. or your children. And so now, 30 minutes into the date, you just sit down at the table. Guess who starts calling you? 
right? Mm-hmm. It starts blowing up your phone. You fucking bitch. You fucking deadbeat. You but and and then or God forbid they show up at the at the restaurant. Yeah, they mm-hmm. you know and so they wreak havoc. And and what where I see this actually becoming not only see it where I've seen it become a, a much larger problem is when people need extra time because they they need to go work extra hours at work. Now mm-hmm. this turns into not just a first right of refusal. Now it turns into financial abuse. Your boss wants you to work an extra Saturday or whatever the case is. You have to, because you have it written up a first right of refusal. Now you have to agree, and they they want to see the, they want to see the child, right? So then you take them. You're not really at work. You're really out there screwing somebody else. And then all of a sudden this becomes problematic. You can't focus at work because I'm going to go drop him off. I'm just going to leave him here. Right. If you don't if you don't come pick him up right now, I'm just going to leave him here. I'm going to take I'm going to take you back to court for full custody. And they start making all sorts of threats, just seeing what what sticks to the wall, specifically because they don't want to see you successful. One of the things about narcissism is that they they have very black and white thinking and they uh, they have um, a scarcity mindset where they literally like if you're doing well, if you're working, if you're working extra hours, you have extra money, or if you're going out on a date, they literally think that you took happiness and you took success away from them. So anything mm. that is making your life better, they're automatically going to sabotage it. And there's no better way to do it than when they have the kids themselves. Yeah. And people are like, this is this is heavy for a lot of people, man. I feel like it hits home for so many people that are dealing with toxic relationships and you know I, I also see a lot of people who are like they really want um and i, I don't want to say you know i want to be careful with this because i don't want to say i try to convince them but i don't because i don't really try to convince people of anything but i, I try to get people to understand that sometimes there's a you're dealing with a narcissist and that may not want a parent at all yeah right and there's there's a parent who's just like I just want them to be a part of their child's lives. Mm-hmm. Like I just want them. Like what can, like what can I do? It's like they want me to be, they want me to be a miracle worker in their situation, and they want me to convince the other p- parent to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm trying to tell people that you know sometimes, you know where do you cut losses right? Like where do you where do you you know get to the point where you decide like all right, I may be doing this on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that co-parent, that that narcissist is gonna, you know, want to try to pop in and out, but it's not to really be a parent; is to exercise some she kind of control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and with people in situations like that, because uh, I, I, you're right, I hear it all the time where someone says, like, I want, I want them to have time with their dad. I want them to have that. Might be what you want, but again, we have to begin to let let go of control and begin to um, have appropriate. Um, an appropriate level of um, who they are, right? Accepting them for who they really actually are. And mm-hmm. I get it that you may want them to have that father figure and, and have a relationship with their dad. But he, let's, let's, one of the things I tell people that I work with, let's roll that tape forward, right? Let's, let's really actually think about this. So that parent really doesn't actually want to spend time with the child. And so let's say that you or I were actually miracle workers and we did convince them to spend time with the child just out of obligation. Well, the child knows that they know it. They feel it. They feel that tension when they're over there. It's not like it's going to be quality time, right? Because the, the parent doesn't want them there. So 
now the child actually has uh, a terrible experience when they're there. Uh, and also what we're showing, what we're teaching the child is we're teaching them that when someone doesn't love us, when someone doesn't appreciate us, we still go after them. We'll chase them. We'll, we'll just fix it. We'll make it work. And what does that sound like? It sounds like a lot of the toxic relationships that people are experiencing now, right? Mm -hmm. When someone is dismissive, when someone is completely avoidant, when someone ghosts us, what, what happened? How come you don't love me? How about, and, and, and so what we're doing is we're actually beginning to condition the kids to enter into those type of relationships. So we, we actually need to begin to, to teach kids how to process. So a lot of times parents, when I talk to them, they're like, yeah, but the kids miss them. Yeah, they're allowed to, right? We have to remember that as people who struggle with codependency, they think that everything has to be perfect all the time. Not for the kids. They say it's for the kids. That's not true. It's to cover up and it's to mask your own insecurities. Because if anything's less than perfect, you think that there's something wrong with you and your parenting. We have to understand that no, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. So when your child is is feeling it, that, you know, I miss dad, I miss mom, how come they never pick me up, right? We begin to process those emotions with them. You know, to be honest with you, I don't know why your parents are why he's not here, right? Mm -hmm. If they, let's say they ghosted them last minute, be honest with them. I, I don't know why, right? What, and, and I always tell people that to make, not make it about you, not make it about your feelings, but to make it about them and to validate their feelings. What? What are your thoughts? What, why do you why do you feel like he's not here? Well, he just doesn't show up. He's this is a pattern of behavior. This is, you know, and, and begin to validate their feelings. You know what? You're a really smart kid. You know, um, the next if you, you know, when, the next time you do so, see him, you know, ask him about it. Right. Yeah. And begin to have these type of discussions. Don't feel like you always have to fix everything. Sometimes yeah. it's about teaching them the very thing that you're trying to avoid is actually the, the lesson that actually needs to be learned. And what you're actually doing is you're actually teaching them how to deal with because they're going to deal with this at some point in time later on in, in their life. Right. And so when you teach them how to process these difficult emotions, these big emotions of being uh, upset that the parent didn't show up and disappointment and that sort of thing, uh, you're actually preparing them for the real world. Yeah, I love that. man. we like preparing our kids for the real world like this is. You're going to encounter people who try to manipulate you. You're going to encounter people who pretend to love you and they really don't. You're going to encounter people that are going to disappoint you. So I'm not going to paint this fake picture for you because right, nope. then I'm doing you a disservice as your parent. Exactly. I tell people don't cover the sins of the narcissist. Just, you know, if they don't, if they show up, great. If they don't show up, that's good, too. And either way, we're going to be there uh, to support the child. Uh, because if they show up, sometimes that's not good either, you know, because then they're being manipulative, they're being controlling, they're, you know, the kids start to feel it and, and allow for the kids to come to you, allow for them to be open, uh, create a healthy atmosphere where the children feel comfortable talking to you. I tell people that the goal isn't to fix the kids necessarily. It, if you, if your kids, if your children are feeling comfortable, being open and direct about the things that are happening, you know, on the other week and, and they feel comfortable just expressing themselves, then you've won. Right. That's 90 yeah. percent of the battle yeah. right? is that they that 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 means that you're creating an atmosphere that they feel like they can talk to you about anything. And what yeah. happens is that as they're talking, they're going to start learning. And eventually, as they get older, they're going to they're going to make their own decision about about the narcissist. Now, let's yeah. let's talk about the, that in reverse. So let's say that you've been lying to them like, oh, the reason why your dad hasn't shown up is because he's out there working really, really hard. Right. And he's out there doing this. They know that's a lie. They may not call you out at that point. They know that that's not true. 
And so what happens is that we have to remember that our kids are not going to be young forever. Yeah. So eventually they get older, they're, they might be six now, they're, they're 16, 17, 18. Now, they, now that child has two problems. They have the parent that, that dismissed them and they have the parent that lied to them. Now they're going to make a decision about both parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great information because, you know, I feel like uh, there's also something, you know, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we, before we get out of here. Um, I know there are parents out there who are nervous and they're afraid and they're, it scares them to let their child spend time with the narcissist parent, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're like, what are they saying to my child? What are they, you know, you know, what kind of negative things are they saying about me? Um, in my child's presence, is that a, is that going to affect how my child views me? And you know, when they come back, uh, you know, they fear that, and it's a and it's a legitimate fear, mm -hmm. right? Like, so what do you what do you how do you coach people through those situations who are feeling like that? Like, what do you say to them? You're. <clears throat> we have to understand that our kids love us, and I know that sounds, I know that sounds like cliche but your children really do love you and they really do love you unconditionally. So let's say that uh, they're, they're over at the narcissist house. And the reason why we're not together is because uh, you're a whore mother, you're deadbeat dad screwed, screwed the entire, entire neighborhood. And they're the ones that wanted the divorce. They ruined the family. Uh, that for you might feel very hurtful. Right, that that this is what's being said about you, and that sort of thing. It's very it's very common. Your 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 the other parent, they're on drugs. That's the reason why we can't be together. So, so let's say that the child comes back and they say, "Dad, uh, Dad's saying this, and Mom's saying that." This is the part that's scary, especially for people who struggle with codependency, because like we said earlier, they want everyone to think of them as a good person, and uh, so you the way that you would respond is that you know what. Your other parent, your dad, your mom, they're allowed to think what they want. If that's their truth, they're allowed to think it. That's not my truth. That's not what I feel about that situation. That's not what I, you know, that's not, that's not what I feel. And then ask them, but, and, and tell them like, you're allowed to think whatever you want too. And that's scary because it goes back to what we were talking about before. We're letting go of control, but the goal is to not to change their opinion because that's manipulation. Our goal is to get them talking. So we, we ask them, what, 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 you know, that's, that's, you know, they're allowed to think what they want. I'm allowed to think what I want. And that's not my truth, but what's your truth? I'm just kind of curious. What's your truth? Yeah. And so on the good end, you, you'll hear them say, uh, I don't believe it. Right. And, and, but here's the thing. Don't stop there. A lot of times, because it's very validating for you, you're like, oh, good. And you just go on about your business. Well, great. Well, I'm glad that glad to hear that you don't believe that. But why don't you believe it? And they'll say like, well, they said that you are always drinking, but I've actually never seen you drink before. I've actually never, you know, I've never seen you drunk. I've never whatever. Uh, well, you know, I appreciate that. And so you just talk and what you're doing is that you're actually building a, a much deeper level of, of relationship with the child. So here's the scary part is that they say, yeah, I do believe it. That is, that's my truth is that, yeah, you, you do drink a lot. And so we have to understand that, that they may have fallen to a manipulation, but there's a reason why. 
And the re yeah. and so we have to go, just like I said before, we have to go deeper. Well, and, and we're not upset. We're not, I can't believe that you believe your other parent and they lied to you so much. None of that. This is now at this point, it actually has nothing to do with them. Mm. So what, so I'm just kind of curious, what, uh, what makes you believe that, uh, that I drink too much, you know, that's not my truth. And you, you know, you and your, you and your dad, you and your mom are allowed to think what you want. And, uh, the next words that come out of their mouth is no longer the manipulation. This is actually their truth. Well, the reason why I think that you drink a lot and the reason why I believe the other parent is because one time I came into your, into your room and I saw an empty, three empty beer cans. Remember this is age appropriate. Three empty beer cans might come across as something that that's drunk to them. Right. And, uh, and you're like, Oh, you know what? It, it just, you know, did, did that bother you when that happened? Right. Remember now this is their truth. This is no longer the manipulation. This is the reason why they fell from the manipulation. So now what's actually happening is you flipped that manipulation into an opportunity for the two of you to bond over something that was actually bothering them probably for a longer period of time. So now what happens is that this is now created a, a dynamic where they actually feel more comfortable talking to you about things that you disagree with, which actually uh, creates a much deeper bond with the two of them. Oh man, that's good. That's good info, man. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, I feel like that's a great, advice for people to just always find those opportunities to connect with your kids. Yeah. Like, especially when you're dealing with somebody, you know, your other co-parent is a narcissist and they may be trying to manipulate your child. Capitalize on every opportunity to connect with your kids and have those conversations. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's so valuable. Um, and I got to ask you this, like the cliche question that, you know, before, you know, people get off of talks and, and things like that of, you know, if you would leave anybody, you know, with anything, you know, that are that people that are co-parenting with narcissists, what would be like the some big, you know, a big nugget that you would want to tell people who are dealing with a situation like that, where they're, where they're struggling and they're, and they're having a hard time trying to co-parent with a narcissist? A handful of things. We uh, So there, there would be three things I would say. We want to let go of control. Understand that uh, when I say let go of control, things are not going to be perfect. There's It's going to be problematic. It is not a bad reflection on you as a parent. That's not a bad reflection. It doesn't mean that your kids are going to turn out to be narcissistic. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that things aren't perfect. That means that, guess what? That's that's literally every single person. Um, the other thing that I would say is uh, it's important, it's extremely important that you begin to take time to take time to heal and grow and yourself, right? Yes, the kids might be a part of that motivation, but when you begin to work on yourself, it is going to be a lot safer and a lot healthier. You, a healthy you means that your kids are going to be healthy too. Yeah. Uh, and the third thing is uh, that I, I would say that to make sure that you look and you start to build a long-term strategy. Oftentimes mm -hmm. when we get into these bickering back and forth with the narcissist, we're so worried that we're very short-sighted about the here and the now. Um, like for example, um, uh, holidays are always, always uh, an issue. It is, I, I, people who I work with, I actually encourage them to celebrate holidays on off days, right? Because the narcissist knows to call you and blow up your phone on Christmas and to show up and to, to try to ruin that holiday. Celebrate it a week early. Celebrate it the night before, celebrate it the day before, celebrate it three days before, 
A lot of people are like, well, why would I do that? Because now what you're doing is you're actually for a long term creating memories that weren't disrupted, that the narcissist wasn't calling. They didn't know to call you on December 22nd or the week before or a couple of days afterwards, right? They just thought to call you on Christmas Day. So you're not the sitting duck. So a lot of times people are like, yeah, but it's not Christmas Day. Ten years from now, no one's going to remember that. Yeah. Your kids aren't going to remember that. All they're going to remember is that we had a great Christmas. We had a great Thanksgiving. Man, I remember we used to roast marshmallows and this and that. We used to do this, and, we, and it was all un, uninterrupted. So allow for there to be enough flexibility that that you know, enough creativity that uh, you can celebrate the birthdays days before, weeks before, you know, whatever the case is. But um, but the narcissist doesn't have to have the level of impact on their memories and their and them long term um, than what you uh, might be anticipating. Mm. Man, that's good, man. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. I want, and tell people where they can find you, brother. Uh, you can go to my website, mattpfeiffercoaching.com, or if you follow me on, I'm on all social media platforms. All of my social media are is uh, Matt Pfeiffer Coaching, and um, I would probably say that the the links in any of my videos are are probably more updated than my website at this point. Um, but so I, you know, you can follow me, you can follow me on Instagram, you can follow me on TikTok. Um, Facebook, everything, everything is Matt Pfeiffer coaching. Um, you, um, I think that probably one of the two, maybe three best places to follow me are YouTube, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok, and all of them are Matt Pfeiffer coaching. Okay, yeah, man, I just shared your, uh, I shared your website. Somebody shared, uh, somebody shared your Instagram also in the comments. Oh, thank you, appreciate <laughs> so, it. Yeah, man. So, uh, man, thank you so much for being here. I think you provided some valuable information for us. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out here struggling with this and that can use this information. And you're a resource. I'm a resource. Please reach out to if you love what Matt had to say, feel free to reach out to him. Go to his website, use him as a resource, use him as a coach and 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 get and better your situation. Cause there's I feel like there's no more important job than than being a parent. That's my most important job is I had kids is being a parent. And if we can get help with that and better our situations, relieve our stress so we can be the best versions of ourselves, that's what we need. Um, thank you again, brother. We're going to hop off here. Thank you. Thank you all for listening.